And welcome back to Birds of You. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinions. Today is February 26, 2018, and this is episode 226. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on today's show, we're going to go around the bases. But this time, we're going to go around them backward. Ooh. And while we do, we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show, it's time, Jake, for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you doing this week? Scott Magnus, I am drinking a Malbec, uh, fresh Ooh, out fancy. of the box. Oh, wait. No. Actually, no, this one's fine. This is Boda Box. Uh, it's a Malbec. Uh, I enjoy many of the wines that come out of uh, the box for this this company, Boda Box. Highly recommended. Uh, very drinkable. But, Scott, I, I do have a problem with this. Uh, the packaging uh, seems unlikely. Okay. It says that the uh, the box, and more importantly, the bag inside, keeps the wine good for a month. Okay. Which has not been my experience. No, your wife normally polishes those off in like two or three I've days. I've never, ever seen it last a month. Yeah, well, can you say? It's just, you don't have any willpower. None. None. And if you hear, and if you hear pouring during the episode, it's not me. Nope. Scotty, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm doing a, a Trogues Le Grave, uh, mm-hmm. which is a Belgian Triple uh, A Golden Ale, which has been bottle fermented. In fact, you can see a plethora of yeast going through this. Um, really nice, kind of um, heavy, bubbly um, Golden Ale. Um, I'm a Trogues person, but not a a Belgian person. That was really good beer. Yeah, it's really good beer, and it's fun just to pop a cork every once in a while and uh, scare scare everybody in the room. So uh, yeah, Trogues again, thumbs up. Highly recommended. We love a sponsorship. And um, with that, if you want to know what we're drinking on a weekly basis, uh, hit us up on Untapped. I'm at M A G N eight six zero six. I'm at Jake E four zero two five. And with that, um, let's prepare our livers and uh, get ready for uh, the medical wing. All right, so medical wing. Zach Britton, still injured. Still alive. Still alive. Bud's going to actually things that happened this week. So Craig Gentry uh, has suffered a hamstring injury. Uh, so apparently he is going to get the Alejandro Deaza treatment. Being a Baltimore Oriole does not agree with him. No, it doesn't. Whether it's the finger or the hamstring, he, he gets hurt as an Oriole. I, I think the injury, though, that got everyone concerned this week was the... Uh, Right out of the gate, Jonathan Sue coming down with a left elbow bursitis, which sounds awful. Well, and here's the thing. To listen to the description, and this comes from Eduardo Encina from the Baltimore Sun, uh, giving a quote of, that came through Showalter. Scope hit his elbow against something. He wasn't sure what, and the joint swelled to the point that it had to be drained. What? Gross. All right. As old men, we hit our like elbows against things all the time, like carrying things. Have you ever had a situation though where your joint has swollen up and you had to have it drained? I've never, I've never. No. Have you ever had to drain something from your body? N- never like this. Um, well, here's the deal: if I had an injury to the point where part of me had to be drained, the incident would be memorable. Yes. This leads me to believe that Scope doesn't want to talk about the injury. I think uh, Manny and Scope got into a little bit of hijinks, basically, and maybe we're practicing uh, their handshake, and it may have gone a little incorrectly, and um, let's just say there might have been some elbow issues. I I can't even tell if that's entendre. I, ca- I can't even tell. Well, 
You, you'll never know. It's I, a risky business. Oh, man. <laughs> next, next, I want to shake it off. <laughs> you good? What can I say? It's a knee slapper. <laughs> next, I want to talk about an injury we're not going to talk about just yet, and that is, of course, Kevin Gosman and his collision, collision. incident. Yeah, a little, little, little scuffle. Um, we'll, we'll get to that later in the show, but let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Uh, why don't you go and take this first one? Scotty, I can't tell if this offseason is parody or real life. Here we start with a tweet from John Heyman, who, of course, tweets at John Heyman. Pedro Alvarez is going back to the Orioles. Dude, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in jest. Why? Why do the Orioles need this? They say, well, we need it for depth. Why do you need depth at first base DH? It makes no sense. I'm sorry. You have Davis, Trumbo, and Mancini, all that can play a decent first base. It, it makes no sense. I mean, unless you're just putting him there and saying, oh, he's going to be our Norfolk first baseman. But if that's really the case, that just shows you how terrible your depth is in your farm system. Yeah. I don't really, I don't really care one way or the other. Just meh. Uh, this next week goes into the specifics are less concerning, uh, but the overall picture is dark. And this comes from Andrew and Orencina at Eddie in the Yard. Ryan Flaherty wanted to return to the hashtag Orioles. The Orioles wanted Flaherty back. So why is he wearing a Phillies uniform now? So the article basically discusses the uh, the front office situation where they had a conversation for numerous weeks on whether they could actually tender a minor league contract to Ryan Flaherty, and the front office couldn't come to a decision on the matter. Are you, really, are you kidding me? It really did paint a picture of like the Orioles hemming and hawing and just being completely... <sighs> and I, I can't tell if it's like, oh... The the utility infielder situation is no big deal. We got to focus on the real important thing, the pitching. We're so preoccupied with the importance of putting a team together. This just, you know, hit the back burner and Flaherty couldn't wait anymore. That's that's one way of looking into it. But the pessimistic way of looking into it is that the Orioles can't even bother to get Ryan Flaherty on the team. See, I see it more of a situation where up in the warehouse, there's one fax machine to basically sign off on any contracts. One fax machine to rule them all? Pretty much. And on one side, you've got Buck's team with their Nerf guns. And on the other side, you've got Dan Duquette with his Nerf guns. And there's this massive Nerf gun battle to try to get to the fax machine. But no one can quite get there. And luckily, Brady just kind of walked through and got Cashner's deal signed because, well, he's Brady. But, you know, Brady just can't take under credence for Ryan Flaherty since, you know, the competition is fierce for a best-looking Oriole. Flaherty can opt out of his deal with the Phillies. He can. Not out of the realm of possibility that he opts out with the Phillies and gets signed by the Orioles. Oh, it, it, for less than he's being paid now. It's it's certainly possible. The only thing I will say to that is, you look at the Will Middlebrooks injury, and you would think that that would open up a door for Flaherty to get onto the major league roster for the Phillies. Um, but yeah, it's not uncertain to think that uh, he could be back in an Orioles uniform. All right, are you ready for the just retweet? Knowing the Orioles, they'll like trade away a draft pick in order to get Ryan Flaherty back. <laughs> to give up some international pool money right exactly are you ready for the just retweet whatever matt kremnitzer writes part of the uh, program absolutely all right matt kremnitzer of course tweets at matt kremnitzer o's are apparently quote monitoring end quote the starting pitching market and may be willing to offer three years now and this of course is a screenshot of an article from uh rock's blog which you should go and check out 
I'm just going to read this part to you. The Orioles aren't done attempting to upgrade their roster, with a source confirming yesterday that they remain in contact with agents for the pitchers Alex Cobb, Lance Lynn, and Jake Arrieta. They're not sitting back and saying they have no interest. Staying within striking distance, that's been the mindset. The club moved on from the trio and intensified the pursuit of Kashner and left-hander Jason Vargas after early indications that the years and money wouldn't work. However, three of the top four starters on the market, minus Hugh Darvish, are still available. Okay, here's the thing, Scotty. Sure. I think they're just posturing with us, the mm. fans. I, I, I less believe that they're back in the market for those three starters, particularly Jake Arrieta. Come on, get a, get a grip. Then they are, that negative reaction came out to them saying they were out on Cobb and Lynn. I understand where you're coming from. But the other aspect is, we just discussed this is a team that couldn't even sign a minor league contract. So do you really think they're smart enough to say, let's spin this in this direction? This would require a massive amount of effort that in, in reality... Or just forethought? Yeah, exactly. They're not smart enough to make this play. There is obviously some conversation being held within certain wings of the warehouse of if the price gets low enough, do we make that offer? So Jake, I raise you this question. We know the percentage odds for all these pitchers are extremely low that the Orioles are going to go and sign them. But out of those three pitchers, which one do you actually think is the most likely to actually happen now that we are starting to get into spring training? I think it is more likely that whatever was drained out of Jonathan Scope's elbow is the pitch for the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles this year. Uh, I think probably Lynn is the most okay. likely of those tree of that tree. Because I got to tell you, I- I'm getting a weird feeling that uh, we may see a Jake Arrieta reunion. Stop it. I'm getting this weird feeling. You know what? Just push through until that feeling goes away. That Have another seven For beers. some reason, Jake Arrieta is going to be back on this team for like a one-year deal for like $25 million annual value. Stop it. I just... I, I wouldn't be surprised. And I feel like oh, it's, it's just going to happen and we're just all going to shake our hands and say, well... If we had to go down sinking, this is the way we're going to go down sinking. <laughs> Look, I, I know that everybody just plays for the money, but there's so many, there are so many bad feelings between Jake Arrieta and the Orioles organization. That's just not happening. Uh, yeah, but there's money. No. And that's the big thing. If not there's in Baltimore. It, it, there's money in Baltimore, just not for Manny. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next tweet goes into the ask and ye shall receive category. Uh-oh. I'm terrified. Uh, Stefan Frank. I'm assuming it's Stefan. You know, I was just wondering that. Is it Stefan or is it Stefan? Mr. Frank, Mr. Let Frank, us know. let us know what's Tweet going on here. Tweet at us with a gross correction. We I need apologize. A, we need a pronunciation guide here. Um, and he asked, how does this not make the next At Bird's Eye View BAL podcast? That would be the biggest travesty of the entire offseason. Okay, maybe that's a stretch. Yes, that's a pun, people. And the tweet that uh, was asked to be read on this week on the Twitter was, from Orioles fan problems at Orioles fan probs with a Z. I talked to a lot of BS about the organization this offseason, but the Orioles play a game today and against another baseball team, and I'm fully erect just thinking about it. That's our kind of tweet. It is our, our kind of tweet. It makes this week on the Twitters. You know what else makes this week on the Twitters? Sure. Our good friend Justin McGuire. Uh, and this is a tweet from Locked on Orioles, which is a podcast that you should definitely definitely be listening to uh justin is also the host of the baseball by the book podcast yep and a former bird's eye view guest uh locked on orioles tweets as follows 
Wow! Giancarlo Stanton, J.D. Martinez, and Colby Rasmus in the same division? All right, I see what he's done there. Which one of these doesn't fit? <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. 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 It's just depressing. But seriously, go and subscribe to Locked on Orioles. Uh, great podcast. And Justin has been killing it lately with some really great content to fill the everlasting gap of uh, coverage within the spring training. So far, I've only listened to the first one. A very thoughtful and insightful conversation between him and Matt Kremnitzer. And I'm sure the rest of them are also excellent. I'm very disappointed that Kremnitzer went on that podcast as opposed to ours. But again... It would basically be just me and Matt gushing over each other. So it would be. Yeah. Jake, um, last tweet for this week on the Twitter. Uh, I'm going to put this uh, in, in title as, fo- as follows Basul. Gazoon Titan. Of course, this is an abbreviation for BSOOL, which is, of course, best shape of our lives. Okay. Um, this tweet comes from Utah Street Report, and they tweet as follows Mid season, hashtag that's so O's form. And this is in regards to Rocabaco trading. Wind strikes out. Orioles have loaded bases in fifth, sixth, and eighth innings without scoring. No RISP. No RISP. 50 ways to strand a runner. Actually, somebody just brought that up to me recently, and so few of those named Orioles are still on the roster. It's kind of sad. Swing out of your bones, Jones? Yeah. Well, next year, next year it'll probably just be scope. <laughs> probably. No, Davis will be there. Okay, yeah. yeah. Forever. Scope probably won't be here. We'll probably trade him. Man, it's just the Twitters of sadness. All right, if you, like Mr. Stefan slash Stefan, have a recommendation, please feel free to bring things to our, uh, our attention on this week on the Twitters. And Scott Magnus, I think it's time we do it. Let's get up there, bat opposite-handed or whatever it needs to be done, because really, spring training games don't matter. But let's go around the bases nonetheless. Scotty, we're going to do around the bases, and that's all fine. But I want to do a slightly different... Do we different, have to? <laughs> we do. It's by the rules. We that's an episode one callback. <laughs> it is. Nice. <laughs> um, I, I want to play a game called, well, that doesn't sound promising, because we have plenty... Can we just say that for next season? <laughs> <laughs> to keep us, we have plenty to keep us busy. So let's go around the bases with things that don't sound too promising. I'd like to start out with an article from the Baltimore Sun um, that talks about Nestor Cortez. Okay, this is a guy with a very real chance of being the Orioles' fifth starter, right? And in this story, it recounted his his first start, which is going to give Jamie Moyer a run for his money, but Cortez is, you know, 20-some years younger. Here's just a little uh, brief snippet from the story. The stadium radar clocked a few of his pitches in the 60s and low 70s, which Cortez acknowledges is not unusual. Those are the sliders, he laughed. They usually go down low, much lower than that, honestly. The 67 was a sidearm slider I threw. It might go lower. Pressed to see how how low he can go, he said he once threw a slider at 47 miles per hour. Did the guy swing twice? Well, he did fall over, Cortez answered, but no, just one swing. Showalter knew what he was getting when the Orioles took Cortez off the Yankees' unprotected list, a soft thrower who can change speeds, locate pitches, and 
get a lot of minor league hitters out. A guy like him really can't have an ego about pitching, Showalter said. If he was smug, he'd say, check out the numbers. It's a matter of seeing if it'll play at the next levels. He's a guy that's got to do a lot of little things to potentially make you trust him. All of this is screaming, danger, Will Robinson. Whoop, whoop, whoop. We got a young, soft-tossing lefty for whom everything has to go right well, to be effective. All right, let's, let's put this in perspective, though. We have a young, soft-tossing lefty that has the ability to vary his pitch velocity anywhere between upper 80s for his fastball all the way down into the 60s. That's intriguing to me, but not as a starter, but very intriguing to me as a loogie. You put also beer league softball. Oh, absolutely. But you have basically you're having your pitchers starting pitcher come in there, you know, throwing at 90 miles per hour, and then you bring him in and he's throwing 60 or 70 miles per hour against a left hander. Absolutely. I'll do that any night of the week. But as a starter, no, no, not at all. But a great loogie. There's no question about this. When I br- when I talked about this earlier, uh, I, w- I was talking to a friend and I said, please imagine a pitcher like that going through the lineup more than once against the New York oh, Yankees exactly. or the Boston Red Sox. Right. It's, imp- it's impossible to imagine. Now, imagine a lefty like that going through the lineup more than once against the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox when the last game that you watched was pitched by Chris Tillman. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. I'm just saying, this is a thing that when you read it, does not sound promising. It... um it, it sounds like danger zone is the best way to describe it. It sounds like this is going to basically lead to travesty. Oh, did that make you sad? It, it did make me a little sad, yes. I'll bet you we can find things that will make you even sadder. Even sadder? Scott Magnus, it's time to talk about Kevin Gosman. Oh, okay. Kevin Gosman, in the spirit of the Olympics, pulled off a move this week that was electrifying to watch. He pulled off a modified Caleb Joseph and had an incident in the batter's circle, ran in to a batter. And uh, after colliding with that player in the on-deck circle, was removed from the game and went through concussion protocol, had a cut over his left eye. None of these things, and a sore back. And a sore back. None of these things sound promising from one of the two guys that you hope might have a good season. This is true. All this sounds absolutely terrible, except... He kind of laughed it off and said, eh, I'll be okay in a few days. That's so true. it could have been a lot worse. Uh, we've already seen several injuries happen in spring training um, with people basically look like they're going to be out for the rest of the season. Uh, we and ha- draining things from their elbows. We had Felix Hernandez get hit on a comebacker to the mound today. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, um, this was a <gasps> moment. But at the end of the day, it's a nice little story to tell in terms of a, a, a scar. I'm sorry. What was that? <gasps> it was a home. Huh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so we as Orioles fans now have two ridiculous things that have happened in the on deck circle. Is there a problem in Major League Baseball or is it just two fluke things that we happen to have seen in the last couple of years? So I, I do think there's a problem. Um, I do think that um, Major League Baseball is probably going to have to look at the on deck circles, um, potentially uh, install um, extended netting across the on deck <laughs> circle just to make sure that um, players are not being impacted by um, sudden collisions. All right, cool. Yeah, I like it. You know, if we're going to talk Kevin Gossman, we've got to talk about the article that came out today, also in the Baltimore Sun, in regards to Kevin Gossman starting to work on a sinker uh, grip. Um, and brought, the, brought to him by? Brought to him by Andrew Kashner. 
Um, and apparently Kashner has been kind of showing this to Seamer, um, Sinker, to both Gosman and Bundy and seeing how well it would do. But Gosman's really kind of bought into it. Um, and, and Gosman historically has never really thrown the sinker. Um, he's really done more just the aspect of just throwing a four seam fastball. He tinkered with it a little bit at the end of last year, but again, only threw it maybe three to 5% of the time. Um, it would be intriguing to me to see whether or not Gossman would be willing to maybe get the sinker percentage up to 15 to 20%, cut down the four seam fastball, which is really has no movement whatsoever to it. And that allows him to basically maybe set up, set up his splitter a little bit better as well. A lot of times we've talked about before when Kevin Gossman's splitter is working, it's basically his outpitch. He's going to have a great game that w- night. Um, but when that splitter is not working, he has a tough time getting the fastball to basically get those outs. He oftentimes gets into pitch count trouble, um, and he doesn't really get a lot of whiffs. He just gets a lot of fouls. So I'd also be interested to see if the splitter doesn't really cause as many issues, too, in terms of just getting ground balls, um, but also just puts weak contact into play and doesn't cause foul balls to occur as well. I mean, what do you think about the whole sinker situation with Kevin Gossman? Well, I think first and foremost, any pitch that he's going to add to his arsenal can only be effective if he stops throwing the fastball so darn much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I feel like his fastball percentage is well in advance of 60%. Maybe I think it's 68% off the top of my head. I feel like he's he's got an electric fastball, and it's effective enough to get hitters out. But I feel like... It's only good so many times, right? Eventually, good hitters can sit on even a good fastball. Um, I mean, my, my question to you is this, and, and technically I'm not sure I know the answer. How much differently does the ball behave in a sinker versus a split? Depends on how good your sinker is. That's true. There was a situation happened, and actually one of our, um, one of the individuals that follow us on Twitter, I believe it's Don Petrie, uh, mentioned to us that, um, back in 2015, Chris Tillman also kind of played around with this the sinker aspect. And if you look at how well his sinker did at that time, um, it, it basically didn't move whatsoever. So it was like a sinker in terms of a two-seam fastball. But if you basically put it up against all other players, um, at that time, it basically um, it had a similar performance to Giovanni Garrido during the 2015 season. Yikes. So well, that was 2015. Giovanni Garrido was a completely different pl- player, according to... Um, uh, according to Masson at that time. So uh, it, it just, it's great that you're throwing a new pitch. But again, it all comes down to how effective is that pitch in terms of having the horizontal slash vertical movement. And also from a deception standpoint, how much is, how easy is it basically for someone not to be able to pick up saying, okay, this is a four seamer versus a sinker so that I can put um, bat on ball. Plus, haven't we already heard him, oh, I'm going to add a pitch to my arsenal? How's that slurve working out for you? You know, he had good results with it a little bit today. Um, Is that uh, before or after he ran his face into somebody? That was before. After that, he basically went into the concussion protocol. Was that before or after he gave up five runs? Uh, that was uh, during. Oh, oh, that one? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about small sample size. His slurve is terrible because of one inning I mean, spring training. But you're absolutely right. I mean, we've heard this from Kevin Gossman all the time. I was saying uh, his entire career he's had a four-seamer, a split-finger, and a slider basically or slurve and he's only at three pitches and like we discussed before when his split finger is not working he basically became an entire predominant fastball pitcher um on the season last year it was 64.31 percent just as fyi but those games that we saw that he uh couldn't rely on his split finger i mean he was some games during last year he was all the way up to 80 percent fastball 
Um, there was one game at the beginning of the year against Boston. He threw 85% for seam fastballs, which is just comical. I mean, it's just like, are, are you kidding me? Like, you're throwing two pitchers. You're throwing a four seam fastball and you're throwing a slider. Like, it, pitchers are, I mean, batters are not going to be confused by this. You need to be able to mix up your arsenal enough where batters are not just sitting on pitches. And a lot of times you felt like batters were sitting on pitches last year for Kevin Gossman. Maybe like for an entire half of the season. Yeah, for at least for the first half of the season, absolutely. But I, I, I'll be interested to see what happens. I personally think that it's great that he realizes he needs to add another pitch. Um, it's also probably a situation where he's looking at it and saying, you know, my fastball is not putting people away as much as it used to, um, at least getting from a whiff standpoint. So maybe I need to come up with a better fastball and kind of start preparing myself for once that velocity takes down another few miles per hour. I'm going to have to learn how to throw a sinker or else my Major League Baseball career is over. Well, luckily, we have the invaluable assistance of one Andrew Kashner brought here clearly just to coach up Kevin Gossman. Bang, bang. All right. Now I'm even more depressed than I was at first base. All right. Let's go really depressing. Um, and let's talk about our flash replacements. So the one thing that has been really interesting to me is taking a look at the utility role um, when the Orioles need to roll people out there to replace a player like Jonathan Scope or Manny Machado um, at shortstop and second base. There was one really interesting game where they had Ruben Tejada and Luis Sardinas basically playing second base in the shortstop. And every other inning, they would switch places on the field. So Sardinas would switch to second base and then Tejada would go to sec- uh, basically go to shortstop. And I think it's really interesting to come back and look at this and say, what the heck are the Orioles doing with a Ruben Tejada and a Sardinas? I mean, you look at their defensive numbers, and they're below average at best. I mean, if this is the best the Orioles can pull from basically a minor league depth standpoint, Jake is filling his glass full with wine right now. Um, as much as people like to give great for Ryan Flaherty, Ryan Flaherty did fill a niche on this team in terms of being able to at least perform defensively. And I, I don't think it's... A significant difference but i do think it could potentially be one or two wins and we talk about the orals and we say mm, it probably doesn't matter too much because you know they're going to be you know a losing team as it is this year but if you want to get that playoff spot so you can't have weak players like this as your two utility especially if injuries are going to pop up which they are going to during the season i'm sad okay because i'm going to say something nice about ryan flaherty good Ryan Flaherty is exactly the kind of player that good teams need on the periphery. And and here's the thing. I love the fact that he was the emergency catcher. I love watching him pitch because both of those things are funny. But you know what's not funny? What is not funny is Jonathan Scope running through first base and blowing out his knee at Fenway Park and you needing a player like Ryan Flaherty who can play a respectable second base and though he gives you next to nothing offensively can be relied upon on an everyday basis to play Major League Baseball. What is a terrifying thought is this team without Manny Machado for any length of a time. But if you have to have somebody play a Major League Baseball quality shortstop, Ryan Flaherty is a player that can do that. And if you don't have to depend on a guy like Flaherty to to hold down the fort for very long, right? If you can plug in Flaherty for three or four days while somebody gets over, you know, a minor nagging injury or pushes their way through a slump or something of that nature, the drop off defensively and the fact that he's been in the majors and on this team and a comfort level and and all that kind of crap. Flaherty is the spare part that good teams have. And I don't know that a Tejada or a Sardinias 
is that spare part that good teams have. I'm worried that those guys are spare parts that bad teams have. Well, the other aspect is we do have another utility infield coming into the Baltimore Orioles camp. We have uh, Engob uh, Vilma coming into the uh, camp right now as your potential uh, utility infielder. Where is Steve Pierce? <laughs> you know, Steve Pierce played a, a remarkably pretty decent It was base. phenomenal. <laughs> I was ready for the game to fall apart at every moment, and he was you, incredible out You looked there. and you're like, this is going to be a disaster. And you know what? It wasn't that bad. It was D-plus at best. It was like watching Ty Wigginton play the infield. Oh. oh. It kind of actually looked like Ty Wigginton out there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just feel like this is going to come back and bite the Orioles at one point. And here's a here's a more succinct argument. I'm sorry. Okay. I, this is what I was trying to say. Okay. The difference between Ryan Flaherty and these other cats is this. The margin of error is so slim for the Orioles that they can't afford to screw up on the other parts. Does that make sense? It does. Let me raise this question to you. And let's say this whole aspect of utility and fielder is a charade, basically. And we're just basically going to say this is not, this is a ruse, basically. And there really is not going to be a utility and fielder. There is no spoon. And let's say that Buck says, you know what? If Scope goes out, I'm just going to move Beckham to second base. If Manny's out, I'm going to move Beckham to shortstop. If Beckham's out, I'm going to move Manny to third base. Is there ever a scenario besides, I guess, the Manny moving to third base angle that we don't need a utility infielder because all three of those guys can play all three positions? And instead, it's a situation where maybe you're just looking for a third baseman to fill in for a few days. And, you know, we've seen, you know, the Orioles play with a third baseman before in the past in Caleb Joseph and see how well they do. Could Caleb Joseph be your utility third baseman? I don't think you're thinking about this correctly. <laughs> Scott Magnus, what you're asking me is this. Yes. Can Pedro Alvarez oh. be your utility infielder? Oh. That's a good question. You know, I watched... Let me, well, let's come back to this, though. I mean, could some other player play third base? I mean, we've talked about Chris Davis in the past, sure. you know. So you say, all right, let's move Davis over to third base for a few games, and then we're going to bring, you know... Mancini over to first base or even Trumbo to first base for a few games. And maybe that says that you're going to put both Cisco and Joseph in the lineup basically to cover it for there. I mean, do the Orioles really need a utility infielder with the diversity they have in scope Machado and Beckham? I would say yes. And here's why I watched a game once in which Brian Roberts left the game, uh, not injury related. I think oh, okay. maybe he was thrown out something. Um, but Melvin Mora moved over to second base because it was like the ninth and they were out of replacements. It doesn't matter, but sure. Mora played second base. And I thought to myself, exactly what you were describing earlier with Beckham and you know whatnot, could one of your regulars be the backup at another position to uh, provide some flexibility? What I will say to you is this, a player like Ryan Flaherty, a player like Chris Gomez, right? That can, you remember Chris Gomez that can play Absolutely. all four infield positions that can play a corner outfield position in a pinch. That is the kind of player I think that a team like the Orioles needs somebody who can credibly play just about anywhere. Maybe can't, you know, can't catch, can't play uh, uh center field, but is the type of player that this team, which is so close to falling in like a house of cards at any moment uh, needs for backup. All right. I completely understand. I completely agree with you. But I'm going to throw this at you. We are of this mindset that you need to have a utility infielder because if someone's going to get hurt, you know, they're going to go on the DL for 15 days. But sure. now with the DL being 10 days, 
does this offer the option of saying, you know, maybe it's possible to get by for 10 days by basically bringing up someone like, oh, I don't know. What if you brought up a Ryan Mountcastle for a few games, basically, and say, we're going to have you play third base for a little bit just so you can kind of get some experience, and then we're going to bring you right back down and basically not use you for the time being. I say that's a fine plan for a losing team. Well, that sounds like it's our plan (laughs) for this year. And I'm depressed again. Yes. All right. Um, Enough on utility infielders because, honestly— How's the how's the preseason going? Oh, I don't know. We're going to talk for 10 minutes about utility infielders. Right. It is, it, it's a minor aspect of the game, but it is something that we have seen in the past, um, especially during the 2014 playoffs, that it's a big deal sometimes. And, you know, I, I laugh about, you know, being ashamed of saying something nice about Ryan Flaherty. I will say, I think we've been kind of spoiled with Flaherty as the super utility player because I think for what he does, he does it well. Yes. All right, so... Coming into home again. Um, so these games don't matter, obviously. But you look at Kevin Gossman and Dylan Bundy's first outings combined. Three and a third innings pitched, 10 in runs, four walks, two Ks, and uh, a 27 ERA. Um, Jake, when do you hit the panic alarm during spring training? Never. 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 Spring training is next to useless when it comes to us predicting the effectiveness of a player i would argue that the coaches from what they see every day have a better handle on how a player is doing even if their if their performance doesn't match for instance a jake fox is not going to break the home run record what i know i know i'm shocked also uh a hitless uh you know player is is not going to go you know oh and 162 or whatever for his uh for his career or for his season and starting pitching doesn't really mean that much i i don't know because i'm not there whether a pitcher is working exclusively on his changeup that day and gets battered around and puts up five runs on the board and we all go oh he can't even make it through a spring training game against the scrubs from whatever team i don't put much stock in spring training performance because there are so many va- uh, variables that have nothing to do with the result that meh. and and frankly a player that has a poor spring might even have a poor april sure and still have a phenomenal year right i mean i completely agree with you i i and the jake fox argument is a perfect example from offensive standpoint i completely agree you know i think what we see more times than not is it's not so much about the offensive performance but it's more about the indecision or plate discipline that is the greater aspect from a hitter standpoint. When you have hitters up there and they're not seeing the strike zone very well, you think about it and you're like, that can't go into the season well. It's not like you suddenly turn on the light switch and all of a sudden everything is fine from a plate discipline standpoint. So from a plate discipline standpoint, from really I would say walks and Ks is the only thing I'd be maybe looking at from a hitter standpoint, but you're absolutely right. We know what people's power is going to be. We, it, the power just doesn't suddenly appear and disappear, unless you're Trey Mancini. Um, <sighs> power just doesn't appear or disappear. It is what it is. But plate discipline is something, at least going into the season, that I'd like to watch. That being said, even if your plate discipline is terrible for spring training and during the first two weeks of April, it doesn't mean your plate discipline is going to be that way through the entire season. It's more of just saying, well, to begin the season, it probably looks like this player might have a rough go at it for maybe the first week or so. Let's look at a player like Chris Davis. Sure. Chris Davis has acknowledged that he's been crappy. Yes. He has acknowledged, look, my plate... He said he had like a lack of focus or something like that. <laughs> my approach has been 
poor, right? And and he says that I need to go and get back to the player I was and be aggressive. He chewed on it, basically. <laughs> but let, me ask, <laughs> let me ask you this. If you're Chris Davis and you've been criticized for leaving the bat on your shoulder and not swinging enough, but you'll also be criticized if you swing and swing through balls, how are you supposed to prepare in an in a in a spring training suite of games in which you are going up against double A and triple A pitchers, maybe with some command issues where you're either leaving the bat on your shoulder because the pitches are no good, at which point you don't know whether you still got an aggression problem or not, or you're swinging through trying to be aggressive at pitches that are probably going to be out of the strike zone anyway. What I'm saying is that a player trying to work on a particular thing is sometimes ill-served by spring training, and we are ill-served by trying to project judgment upon that without being privy to what's going on. Sure. Um, the one thing I would come back in off, off of offensive players, because, again, I don't think really offensive players really matter so much during spring training. Spring training is all about the pitchers and getting them basically working up to a degree of having um, enough strength in that arm to ready to go to basically begin the season. And so I, it's my goats. And I, and I think the big thing that we've noticed in the past is um, when pitchers have a tendency to not have that fastball velocity, we know something is going to be up that season. So we've seen that before for Chris Tillman last season. We saw it before for Giovanni Garrido. When we see fastball velocity all of a sudden start to decrease in season, we would immediately say something is wrong. There's, a, hurt. there's yeah. an injury happening here. This is not going to be a good season for him. So the only thing I would say is the only thing that we are looking at during spring training is velocity and command. If you have velocity and command, even if it gets whacked out of the ballpark, I'm more interested in that to see where are you hitting your spot. So if the catcher is lined up on the outside of the plate and you're hitting that spot, great. If the guy hit a double, he hit a double. I'm not worried about that. But as long as you hit your spot. But if you say, I want to go down and outside and you end up high and uptight, I'll be like, yeah, you don't have your command today. So I'm looking at that and I'm just looking at velocity. If you have those two things, I really don't care how the rest of the game goes. It's a glorified bullpen session with batters up there is the best way to describe it in my opinion but it is nice to watch that glorified session because you're able to look at it and say in this game situation with them trying to basically pitch to certain circumstances that are different than a bullpen session how are they approaching it and can he change velocity can he hit different points at the plate and, and can he do what we're asking him to do on a day and day basis and that's really what i'm looking for more so than the aspect of the actual hits or the home runs on their ball. Because at the end of the day, that's simple BABIP, and we know it in a long enough season, it's going to standardize. You know what I'm looking for? What's that? A 47-mile-an-hour slider. If that happens this season, I'll tell you what. If I see a 47-mile-per-hour slider this year from the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Orioles pitcher, I will drink any drink you ask me to drink this season. That's exciting. <laughs> Now I've got something to root for for the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> Come on, Nestor Cortez. <laughs> um, let me take that one step further. Sure. Spring training ends. Yeah. The season begins. Yeah. I feel like the fans are going to be quick to turn on the Orioles if things don't go right in April. I I feel like I, I feel like the the fan base is just smoldering, like waiting for the powder keg to light for their pitchforks and torches. At which point? Do you get serious about being concerned about the team? Uh, yes. <laughs> so are you going to be the type that they need to be 500 or better in April or else it's a lost season? Oh, absolutely not. I'm just, I'm going into this as a lost season already. Okay. Jeez. 
but it's it's fine like you know you look at the talent level you look at the projections and you say they're probably a best of 75 win team uh, and we've talked about this before from a tier standpoint if they were an 82 win team i'd be like you know what they might have a chance at a playoff but i'm just going to the season saying there's no chance they have a chance at a playoff and if something magical happens so be it but i'm not going to go in there and think that they have a chance for a playoff i want you to be right so bad or I want you to be wrong, wrong so, so bad. bad, but I don't see that yeah. happening. Yeah. Man. Darn numbers. This is a really depressing trip around the bases. <laughs> Can you imagine by the time? Oh, no, here, here's the thing, Scotty. Here's the thing. When it comes to our prediction show. You know, this is actually really good, too, because it comes back to, you know, when we started this podcast in 2012, extremely depressing. And it basically was depressing all the way up until, I'd say, like, late july we didn't believe it we didn't believe it just like it's not going to happen like this is a flash in the pan eventually it's 2005 all over it's going to happen again for 2005 and to a certain regard 2017 was that which was like all right well maybe they're going to make a comeback they always have a tendency to come back in september and it was prototypical dark ages baseball which was they fell apart at the very end and this is like womp womp we cannot be any worse i'm so glad you brought that up okay Here's the thing. Our prediction show. Yes. We both need to predict that they'll lose 100 games. Oh, you did predict to lose 100 games. I think, what did I predict? Did I do like 92 or 94 games or something like that? I, I think you were the one that went for 100 games. Went for 100 games, and they ended up making the playoffs. So the both of us, I think, were required to predict a 100-loss season, and clearly they'll win the World Series. All right, so they're going to lose 120 games. This is the worst around the bases ever. All right. Well, how about this? Uh I really don't want to do another segment because really there's nothing to talk about. Why don't we just go ahead and blow the save and uh, end the show, and we'll try to come back with something happy next week. I'll work the rest of my way through my wine glass. All right, Scotty. uh, I'm going to blow the save this week by saying I may be full of crap. It only took you 226 episodes to realize that? That's all. That's all. I may be wrong about something, Scott Magnus. I may have said some things that were incorrect. I have been saying for a couple of years now that the cable bubble will someday burst and baseball's finances will be in trouble. Look here in the Baltimore area. The RSN, the local RSN, which is propped up by the Washington market, is... is uh, paid for by every user of cable, right? That that gets Xfinity or or Fios. And what happens when people aren't buying cable packages anymore? Are we the the baseball fans going to be paying what? 10, 20, 15, 30 dollars a month? What what are we going to have to pay per baseball season to continue to watch and how is that going to continue to finance the league? I'm I'm concerned about this in a real way. So naturally, uh, today and, and over the last couple of days, there has been news breaking of the Tampa Bay Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays, signing a deal with Fox, soon to be Disney, uh, to pay them over the course of the next 15 years through the 2033 uh, season, a deal that will pay on average $82 million Oof. a year. The Rays. The Rays are going to get $82 million from their cable provider that's j- just cable. Nobody has to show up because they won't. Sure. And they get $82 million. Yeah. Maybe I'm full of crap and this cable bubble 
is not quite ready to burst. Maybe. And also, I look at this and I look at the numbers and I say, you know, maybe the Nats do have some grief to go with the Orioles because you look at their their dollars that they're getting and you're just like, yeah, that probably isn't exactly right. But there was another number. Hey, if they don't like it, back to Montreal. There was another number that kind of caught my eye this week. What? Is this, is this a double blowing of the save? Absolutely. So, uh, Jake, you just got into a collision. We're going to have to remove you. And we're going to bring in some other guy to basically finish up this game. Have you ever seen the closer come in, fail to be effective, have another pitcher brought in and record a save? Uh, I have, actually, many times. I have never seen this. Yeah. Uh, so there was an article that was posted this week uh, indicating that the Orioles generate a record $97 million economic impact in Sarasota. And that's actually up from $81 million the last time I saw that figure. That is correct. Now, I don't know about you. But when I see 97 up from 81 the previous years, my eyebrows raise a little bit. And then I say, let me just do some rough math here. So, Jake, on average, um, over the past few years, the Orioles have had an attendance of right around 120,000 fans for the entire spring training season. Which means that out of each of those fans that attend a spring training game, that each one of those fans is contributing $808 per spring training game to the city of Sarasota. I don't think that's crazy. Here's where I think it's crazy is I definitely think it's possible that there are fans out there that are traveling down from Baltimore that are applying certain funds. However, I do also think there are a bunch of fans down there that are not applying $1,600 or $2,000 in order to play multiple games because they already live down there. I don't see this number being as high as it is. Do I think there's a significant financial impact? Absolutely. Do I think it's $97 million? There's no chance in the world I think it's $97 million. Oh, I think you're wrong. I absolutely think you're wrong. Think about how many people go down for just a single game. Yeah, you're absolutely right. right. And how long they stay. Because yeah. believe me, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to turn into the Sarasota slash Siesta Key Tourism Department. If you go down for a baseball-related event in Sarasota slash Siesta Key, you will stay as long as your bank account will allow you. It's beautiful. It is a wonderful place to experience life. Forget the baseball. Here, here's the thing. I'm, I'm not buying this because, again, I come back to this aspect of I'm looking at um, the projections that the Orioles basically put out um, when they wanted to move into Sarasota. And the projection was $35 million. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When have the Orioles been that far off in terms of financial projections going forward? I mean, that is a to total difference. Like, like I said, I think that it's probably closer to being in that 50 to $60 million range. And again, I come back to there's no way in one year the Orioles went from $81 million to $97 million in one season. I can turn this around on you. Okay. In two ways. First, you ask, when have the Orioles ever been this wrong in the positive? But let me ask you this. In the negative. How often have the Orioles been that wrong? They've been wrong a lot is the best way to describe it. Second, still, it's still a 20% growth. A 20% growth in one year? I say we get somebody on from the Sarasota Department of Commerce or whatever it is, the Better Business Bureau, whoever it is that comes up with these numbers or accepts it from the Orioles, get them to break it down for us and also advertise heavily for Sarasota slash Siesta Key. Seriously, go on vacation. It's amazing. Listen, I'm all for this. Siesta Key, amazing. Sarasota, amazing. Um, Orioles are basically named having the best spring training park down there right now. Um, that's all great and good.
I just think this is a made-up number, and I, I just don't like seeing a made-up number. They don't need to make up a number. $81 million is space for itself. I don't feel strongly enough to argue that that much with you. You know what I do feel strongly about? What's that? Folks, if you have been to Sarasota, you need to tweet at us, at BirdseyeViewBAL. Tell us what your favorite part of the Sarasota slash Siesta Key trip was. Uh, I'm just going to lay this out there. Sarasota, go to the daiquiri deck and have a few deck daiquiris, and uh, you won't regret it. Let me ask you this question. Are you going to Sarasota this year? I'm not going this year. Well, then I don't understand how $97 million can be, because when your wife goes down there and the amount of margaritas she drinks, I could understand it being $97 million. Have a few deck daiquiris. You'll know where $97 million (laughs) comes from. All right. And that... As we as we do every favor for the Sarasota Chamber of Commerce, that is our show. Remember that you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. Please, we appreciate the feedback and encourages other people to listen for the first time. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles uh, baseball with other diehard fans. Jake likes talking. Scott's grumpy. Uh, Email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond... Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Meh. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Did, I, did I ever tell you the story about traveling through Sarasota desperately looking for cigars? Uh, I don't think so. We rented a uh, we rented a convertible and could not find a single place in Sarasota that was still open after 7 p.m. that sold cigars. I'm not surprised. It is Florida. Yeah, it is Florida. Daiquiri deck. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.